Well, good morning and welcome. Was it nice to hear children's voices throughout the service here on stage? Uh, this is our Family Worship Sunday, and I am a children's pastor. In case you are wondering what our children's pastors are all about, well, we are just a bunch of guys that have unlimited access to fruit snacks, animal crackers, and goldfish, and we are never expected to act our age. That's basically my job description. And if you are a visitor and you think, why of all the Sundays I chose to come on this Sunday? Let me tell you, our pastor is great, and like next Sunday you'll get like, you know, Snickers bars, like you'll get a regular size Snickers bar. Today, fun size. <laughs> all right, so we are in uh, the book of Luke, book of Luke, and ushers are here with the Bibles. We will be looking at the Word of God, so if in a hurry, accidentally, you just left your Bible behind, or you don't have one, uh, please raise your hand. They will be thrilled to give you one. And if you don't have a Bible, please take it with you. It's our gift to you. And may it nourish and, uh, your soul and encourage you on your life's journey. So we are looking at the book of Luke. And last Sunday, we left Jesus back in the manger as a little helpless baby. So today, we are going to do a little time travel we are going to look at Jesus at the age of 30. So we are going to skip a lot of years which honestly were ordinary and unremarkable. Had we watched the life of Jesus, there would be nothing about him that would say, wow, he is a son of God. He pooped and he peed and Mary had to uh, change his diapers and he probably woke up at night and had to be comforted and he scraped his knees and climbed the trees and when he was older he went to school, uh, had to learn to read, learn the scriptures that he himself wrote. Like, okay, I need to learn it. He had uh, to help his father around the workshop, probably hit his thumb uh, one too many times, uh, probably had uh, splinters, like there was nothing extraordinary about him. He was known as a son of Joseph. And so Luke 3 says, Jesus, he, he was 30 and was known as son of Joseph. But then, starting in Luke 4, a big shift is happening Jesus is changing his persona. He is stepping into a different identity as a son of David, which was a messianic title, or son of God. And we are going to look at three specific steps that took place that facilitated the shift from being the son of Joseph from that life, from ordinary life, to the extraordinary life of being the son of God. There were three specific steps. And I know we are very tempted always to put God into a formula and just put one, two, three, A, B, C. If we accomplish this, this will be the result. So I want to avoid the temptation. But if we look at the scriptures, we will see some patterns. And it's very evident that the three things that were a part of Jesus' transformation, of shifting him from the son of Joseph to the son of David, to the son of God, those three parts will probably have to be in our lives if we want to be fully engaged 
in God's dream and plan for your and my life. You know, there are those moments in time that redefine us. So that's what we will be talking about. I remember there was one night when I was redefined. I got on my knee. I looked up. There was this beautiful American girl looking down at me. And I asked, will you marry me? And she said, yes, a thousand times yes. And just like that, I was redefined. I was changed from Anna's boyfriend. I became Anna's husband-to-be. And a little time later, pastor asked me a bunch of questions, and I said, I do, I do, I do, I do. He said, I pronounce you husband and wife. You can kiss your bride. So now, in that moment, again, my identity changed. My persona was redefined from a single Ukrainian guy uh, to a boyfriend to husband-to-be, now to a husband-to Anna. A few years later, she announces that our family is going to grow. And nine months uh, afterwards, uh, our uh, baby was born, Max, who made me a father. Again, a change in identity. And every change redefines you and has a huge impact on your life. As a single guy, I did what I wanted with my time and with my money. As a married guy, it's a different story. As a childless husband to my wife, there there were things that uh, I could do and enjoy, and my life was different than than a child comes. And you redesign your budget, and your nights become a lot shorter, and it's just different, right? Every change is different. I remember being in Pastor Tony's home uh, almost eight years ago, and he was checking me out. I was checking him out, too, honestly. (laughs) And then one night he comes and says, Dima, the elders of LAFC have agreed to extend to you a position of a children's pastor. And I said, yes. And just like that, another change in identity, right? Now I'm known as a children's pastor at LAFC. It impacted my whereabouts from Indianapolis, everywhere, to here. My every moment of every working day is now defined by that change. I became a different person. And of course, I cannot forget the time when I stood in the Lancaster City courtroom and the judge pronounced me a citizen of the United States of America. And just like that, a guy who walked into the courtroom as a Ukrainian citizen walked out as an American citizen. Awesome, isn't it? Yeah. How cool is that? Now I get to pay taxes. <laughs> I'm eligible for jury duty, all the fun stuff. <laughs> Change in identity. So three things we are going to look at today that took place in the life of Jesus that created that identity shift and redefined him. And those three things, if you want a better new year, will have to play out in your life in one way or another. So uh, to help us look into this scripture, it will be Luke chapter 4. I have invited Josiah Brubaker. We are going to add one more child's voice to our morning service. Josiah is going to read to us the scripture. It will be Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Go ahead, Josiah. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this, sto this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the, their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led to him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the high, on the highest point of the temple. He, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down here, from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. There, they will lift you up in, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot on, against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Excellent. Thank you so much, Josiah. Thank you. All right, so let's take a look, uh, take a look at the three things that led Jesus to this huge change in who he was in how he perceived himself and how others perceived him. So first of all, you ready? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So let's pretend this is the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is a fun-sized service, and I'm a children's pastor who can get away with almost anything, so we are going to do... Uh, things like this, all right? So let's pretend this is the Holy Spirit. Let's pretend this cup is Jesus. For 30 years, ordinary, average, mundane, unremarkable life, right? Then the Holy Spirit is coming on him. Is this full? Uh oh, our text says he was full of the Spirit. Better? No? Okay. Okay. Full of the Holy Spirit. So, first thing is, if we want to be fully engaged in God's plan and destiny for our lives, we have to rediscover a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Before I talk about that, uh, kids, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to turn to your parents in about 30 seconds and ask them for something very, very important. But it's like such a big ask that you're going to make that you need to have, you know, those puppy eyes. Like if you were asking for a puppy or a kitten or a hoverboard or a smartphone, or I, you know, for something big, okay? So practice your puppy eyes. Let me see your puppy eyes. Uh, Sir, it's for children only. <laughs> okay, all right. So this is what you're going to do. You'll turn to your parents when I tell you, and you'll say, Mom, Dad, could you please tell me about the Holy Spirit when we get home? Could you tell me everything you know about the Holy Spirit when we get home? By the way, big kids here, I know you don't talk to your parents anymore. <laughs> you are too cool for them. So pull out those smartphones. 
pull out those smartphones, and I want you to uh, send a text to your parents. Mom, Dad, would you please tell me everything you know about the Holy Spirit when we get home? I'm serious, dead serious. This is a conversation that has to take place. By the way, uh, adults, if you know somebody that you just admire their walk with the Holy Spirit, pull out your smartphone, text to them too. That will lock that commitment, okay? It, it has to take place. All right, kids, you ready? Okay, puppy eyes, puppy eyes. Okay, talk, turn to your parents, say, Mom, Dad, could you tell me everything you know about the Holy Spirit when we get home? You have 10 seconds to do that. Okay, those texts going off. Good. Whew. That's how we children's pastors get out of explaining difficult theological <laughs> concepts. Okay. So you don't need to know who the Holy Spirit is. You just need to know that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Parents, enjoy the uh, dinner time conversation. <laughs> now, seriously, there is a pattern. If you look at the Old Testament and if you look at the New, whenever something remarkable was about to happen, first, the Holy Spirit had to enter the stage. Let's just take a look at a few people from the Old Testament and a few people from the New Testament, Othniel, just average, ordinary guy, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. So this is Othniel, he was empty, now the Spirit of the Lord filled him, and he became Israel's leader and went to war. The Spirit didn't come, nothing extraordinary happened. The Spirit came, he became uh, something special. Gideon. Again, empty guy, average guy, timid farmer, scared to death of Midianites, just minding his own business. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning people to follow him. That was a huge transformation for a scared guy. Saul, there was a promise. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will be changed into a different person. I notice in the pattern now, the Spirit of the Lord comes, and then it says, and. There is an action that has to follow. There is a change and a transformation. We do not receive a Holy Spirit as a souvenir. We do not receive him just like a little uh, uh, thing to put in now. Ah, I've got a full package. You know, like on Christmas Day, you open a gift. Man, it irritates me. You open a gift, and it says batteries are not included. And so this was a way to ruin my Christmas. My family is there in the living room, and I have to go to the basement without socks. It's cold. Dig for those triple A's. <sighs> is it good that when you become a Christian, batteries are included? You get Jesus, and you get the Holy Spirit. But why? But why? There should be and. Dima has accepted the Holy Spirit and... Something has always to follow. He is all about action. Let's look at the New Testament just in case if some of you thinking, oh, it's only in the Old Testament. Okay, early disciples, before Jesus uh, uh, went up to heaven, he says, stay in Jerusalem, don't move, don't go until the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes... When you receive the power, you will be my witnesses. There was again, and the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit will come on you, and 
and you will be my witnesses. So Holy Spirit comes and something amazing starts taking place. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus meeting Jesus blinded? Ananias goes to him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with what? With the Holy Spirit. That was such a big thing for him. And the same is for you and me. If we want to change, if we want a difference, it starts with the Holy Spirit. Come on, guys. He is like the cleverest person on earth, right? He is the one who inspired this whole book from cover to cover. He is the one who was hovering over the earth when it was formless and dark and without uh, any shape, and he was coming up with all the creative plans. He was uh, the one who broke Jesus out of the grave. The Bible says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the grave. Wouldn't we, as the followers of Jesus, want to know what is possible in my life if I grow in my relationship with the Holy Spirit? So it says that uh, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And the command that we get in the Bible is be filled with the Holy Spirit, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, about two and a half weeks ago, I was driving to work. I was uh, standing uh, at the intersection waiting uh, for the red light to uh, turn to green, and I just saw the most interesting uh, thing unfolding in front of my eyes. There was this gentleman in his uh, mid-30s, maybe early 40s, dress pants, dressed very nicely. It was about 7 in the morning, and he is running. with the red can. So I looked where he's running from. It's the newly opened giant gas station. And I think, okay, I, I want to know wh where is he going? And I look and look, 501 going to Lancaster for about a thousand feet. There is a line of cars all stopped. <laughs> and there is a big, uh, culprit, a big truck right in the middle. So I connected the dots. Ah, ran out of gas. So, you think, how does that happen? Come on. There is a dashboard, there is a little signal, there is even audible signal. Well, we all get distracted, right? We all get carried away with life, we get overwhelmed, we get tired and weary, we do not pay attention. Well, thankfully, the gas station was not that far away. He was inconvenienced, he inconvenienced others, but probably nobody remembers about it anymore. But what a tragedy is when you and I go to face our day when we show up in the things that matter on an empty tank. And we are useless. There is no power, there is no comfort that we can offer, there is no hope, because there comes a time in life when our human efforts and talents are just meaningless. The situation requires a lot more, the situation requires supernatural involvement, and if your tank is empty, that's not good. We are missing out on showing God to this world. Now, in case if you're wondering, well, I know there is a dashboard in the car, but I don't know if there is a dashboard on me. How do I know if I'm full of spirit or not? God has a dashboard for you and me. So here is an assignment for all of us. You go home and you open Galatians 5, 22, 23. 
which is a passage of the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is always active. He is always producing something, right? So there are nine parts to the Spirit. There is love. Kids, can you help me? Joy. Anything else? Peace. Patience. Goodness or kindness. Meekness. Self-control and faithfulness, right? So, so this is what you do. You come home and you put nine things like love, joy, on a piece of paper or in a computer, love, joy, peace, like all of those nine. And then in the left column, you put the names of every member of your immediate family. So mom, dad, younger brother, older sister, like whoever all is in your family. So you all do it as a family each a family member does it individually. And then you grade each other. You rate each other on a scale from 1 to 10. How is dad doing in the love department? How is mom doing in kindness or gentleness department? Oh, boy, it's scary. I know parents, uh, you're thinking, why am I here? But... This is the dashboard, this is how you know. And then you come together and you talk honestly, okay, mom, dad, children, this is where each of us, I see we're growing and we are doing good. This is the area where I, I, I think you really need the Holy Spirit, you cannot do it on your own. And this is not to shame us, this is not to condemn us, this is that light, this is that arrow that points, hey, Give Holy Spirit a room. Give him a chance to be himself in you and through you. Let's grow. Let's be desperate. Let's stop being self-reliant and let's call on him and let's then cheer each other on to develop the relationship with the Holy Spirit and grow in that area. And here is one thing. It should not be a struggle. Uh, when did you ever see a peach tree or an apple tree that they just saying, all right, this year I'll just try to bring a bushel of apples. No, the tree is not trying. The tree is not struggling, right? They just spread their branches, open up their leaves, they soak up all the sun, all the moisture, they let their uh, roots go deep, and the fruit just appears. It's not your fruit. God is not expecting you to be the Spirit. You can never compete with Him. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But you need to be desperate enough and still enough and stay in his presence long enough to invite him to work in you and through you. And here is a great example from early disciples. They were threatened. They were persecuted. They were not allowed to speak the name of Jesus. They were filled with terror. They were intimidated. So they go to Jesus they're depleted, they're empty, and they're scared. And they say, our tank is empty. So in Acts 4, verse 30 and 31, they pray, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. After they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, remember that and, something always follows, spoke the word of God boldly. So all they did was came to God with an empty tank and said, Lord, it's too big for us. We cannot do it in our human strength. Enable us. Give us power. It's really very much like when you plug your iPad or iPhone to charge. 
Like you just leave them alone and they charge, they're connected to the source. Or when you sit down for a meal, again, you're you are sitting, you are still, and you're consuming the source of energy. Or you go to the gas station and you stop your car and you stop your angel, right? uh, engine. There is that moment or time of stillness, that pause, and you are connecting yourself to the source. That's, that's the picture, earthly pictures that God gave us. That's what it is like. You just need to be desperate enough and still long enough to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to the next step. The next step that changed Jesus, it was his location. He was led into the wilderness. Now, if I were to ask uh, how many of you are planning your next vacation in the wilderness, in the desert, among scorpions and poisonous snakes, a place where there is hardly any water, where the sun is very hot, uh, in the day, and there is nowhere to hide, there is no shelter, and it's cold at night, I don't know that there will be many hands. It's interesting to notice something about the desert. They're lonely places. They're scary places. They're infested with dangerous animals. In fact, the Bible says they're infested even with demons. When Jesus was talking about impure spirits, he said, when impure spirit leaves a person, they go into dry places, into the desert. So it's really a place not designed for a human being. Yet in his wisdom, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, they know that for the shift to take place, for Jesus to be forged for the battle ahead, he cannot go into Longwood Gardens. He cannot even go to Disney World or Hershey Park. He cannot go to spa to get a massage. He cannot go to listen to a life coach to be pumped up. He actually needs to go into the most fiercest, darkest of places. And here is the pattern that I was talking about. If you look at any person in the Bible, or most people in the Bible, who have accomplished something remarkable for God, they all had this second element. They had the Holy Spirit, but they also had a wilderness experience. Experience where they were cut off from life and light, where they were miserable, where their dreams were dead, where uh, their faith uh, felt hollow. And wilderness plays a very important part in our Christian life. You look at David, you look at Joseph thrown into the bottom of the pit in the wilderness, uh, you look at Abraham, you look at Jacob wrestling with uh, the angel of God in the wilderness. You look at the children of God, first thing God does, takes them into the wilderness. You look at Moses, you look at Elijah, you look at Apostle Paul who straight after his conversion did not go to Jerusalem but was sent into Arabian desert for three years. Because this is a place where God purifies you, where God redefines you, where God shapes you and arms you for the uh, calling that he has for your life. And it, it's not a fun place, but it's a place where each one of us of the followers of Christ will find ourselves. In fact, let me read to you a couple of descriptions just to help you understand if you might be experiencing a wilderness even right now. You might be going through the spiritual wilderness if God seems far away, distant, absent, and unresponsive. 
if it feels like God has forgotten or abandoned you, that all of your past efforts have been nothing but a waste, that you are simply too unspiritual and unlovable, and that maybe this thing called Christianity is nothing but a myth. You question everything you ever learned. How can a loving God allow this to happen to me? Have I been fooling myself all these years? Does God really exist? Why doesn't he show himself and do something on my behalf? You are tempted to give up and doubt the integrity of God's word. You feel abandoned by God. It seems that God has vanished and your faith feels hollow, meaningless, and insignificant. And if some of you are wondering, have you been watching my life? Have you been like picking my brain, looking inside? No. It really came from all of those Elijah and Moses and the children of Israel and David, how many psalms written in the desert. I just put those cries and those experiences uh, into these words. And so if you find yourself in the wilderness, this is what you need to know. This is not the end. This is not the rest of your life. This is an important part where God is shaping you into uh, who he wants you to be. Uh, stick there. Be patient because God is doing a very important job. And here is an important promise. Uh, as the children of Israel went through the wilderness, God told them, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. God has an end in mind. And one of the biggest things that happens in the wilderness is he's drawing us into a greater intimacy with him. Another thing that happens in the wilderness, God peels off any wrong perception of him that we have. So many of us, we want a predictable God. So many of us, we want God that plays by our rules. Like if you do this and this and this, God certainly will do what I want. And this is a place where we are disappointed with God and where the faith of yesterday is, does, is no longer a good fit for us. And we need to wrestle, letting go of the concept of God and grabbing hold of the person of God in our walk with him. God says, I'm testing you, I'm humbling you, I'm stripping you of anything that might be in the way so that it may go well with you. So take courage, my friend. Let's take a look at the third and final component that facilitated a shift in how Jesus was viewed and how uh, he acted uh, on this earth. He was tempted by the devil. He had to encounter the enemy of your soul and my soul. Now, there are some misconceptions about the devil that we have, so let me quickly uh, uh, take them away. First thing we need to know about the devil is that he is a father of lies. Uh, can we go to the next slide? Uh, yep, he's a roaring lion. That's the word picture that the Bible gives to us. He is a roaring lion, which means his weapon is fear. He'll try to paralyze you with fear. He'll try to intimidate you. And the defense that God gives to us is a family of God. Why the family of God? Because the only weapon against fear is love. Perfect love casts away fear. And the only place to experience love is not in the cave, is not in a deserted island, but in the messy family of God that we call church. 
That's how God's love becomes tangible to us. The second word picture the Bible gives us about Satan is that he is angel of light. And he would use deception. The Bible calls him also the father of lies. And the only defense you and I have against him is the word of God. And that's what we find again and again and again. Jesus went to the word of God and he quoted to uh, Satan. The scary part is the, that at the end, Satan quoted the scripture back to Jesus. That just shows how cunning and sneaky he is. He knows enough of scripture to mislead you and me, to tempt us and to rob us. And so, if anything else in this new year, our commitment to devouring God's word should be greater than it ever has been. Now, I don't know about you, but when I imagine this fight between Jesus and Satan, it says Satan was tempting him for 40 days and nights. So for a long time, the temptation lasted. Sometimes I think in our mind we think it's like a heavy boxing championship where one is uh, throwing a punch and another just barely uh, uh, moves away and then you throw and, and it goes back and forth and back and forth and they're both tired and uh, they're exhausted and we don't know till the last moment who's going to win. I don't know if it was like that. I, I cannot tell it from this text. From this text, the way I see it is there is Jesus, the elephant, if we are going to compare to an animal, and then there is Satan, a little ladybug, and this ladybug is doing its best to move the elephant just one-eighth of an inch, and it ain't happening. He comes with his best strategy. She says, it's written. He comes with another temptation. It is written. Like, death wasn't even a fight. And I know that in uh, Christian life and our spiritual walk, there will be times of intense spiritual battle. But I would say it's not a norm. I think a norm is I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm filled with God's Word, so temptations, there is nothing attractive about them. I see them for what they are. I know I have too much to lose. I'm not going to trade the peace with God, the communion with the Holy Spirit for this trash that the enemy is offering. So we say, get behind me, Satan. The best way I understand it is the immune system that we have. You know, children, the immune system, right? Uh, it's the system that fights all the bugs, all the viruses, all the, all the bad stuff, all the flu and cold and everything that tries to make you miserable and sick, right? But how many of us are just going about our day, oh, there is a flu bug, bam! Oh, there is this uh, uh, virus, bam! No, we just go about our life. If you rest, well, if you consume plenty of water, if you eat your vegetables, your parents asked me to mention that, <laughs> uh, if you get enough fresh air, your immune system is fine. You don't even need to know about viruses or bugs or whatever is trying to uh, make you sick. If you have taken a good care of yourself, those things will fall off. And this is the normal Christian life if you are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are continually filled with the Word of God and you th see things for what they are, really resisting the devil becomes natural. It's like a heavyweight uh, boxer and a little pre-kindergarten child on a playground. Come on, come on! There is no match to that. So... As we are getting ready to go into the new year, 
I want this verse to stick in your mind. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Something happened in the wilderness. Something happened in his match with Satan that made him stronger. It would not have happened had he been taken to the temple. It would not have happened had he been taken to synagogue. It happened in the wilderness. And so as you are preparing to face the year 2019, which one of these three things uh, should become more active in your life? I want you to think about these things as our worship team comes on stage to lead us in the final song. How is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? How is your relationship with the Word of God? And if you find yourself in the desert, please do not give up. Because the harder the fight, the bigger impact God preparing you for. Dismiss us with a benediction before I pronounce it. If you're here and you feel the stirring of the Spirit inside of you and you want somebody to pray with you, we'll have people underneath the cross uh, happy to pray with you. Take that step uh, and uh, they'll be thrilled to pray for you. And now as we are getting ready to leave this place, as we are getting ready to step into 2019, I bless you with an ever-increasing hunger for God's powerful word. I bless you with an ever-deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit. I bless you with patience and endurance during your darkest hour in the wilderness where even God doesn't make sense. I pray that you will hold on and persevere and come out bearing treasures and insights that you would not have found anywhere else. May you go to your Galilee, whatever it might be, in the power of the Holy Spirit because this world doesn't need more talent or more knowledge, but they need the presence and the power that can only be found in the Holy Spirit and you've got him in you. God bless you. You are dismissed.